Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 109, Neuroplasticity and Psychoneuroimmunology. It's April 10th, 2023. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and podcaster. I'm also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be happy, healthy, and well-loved, even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way, and my music is by Howie Moscovich. Neuroplasticity and Psychoneuroimmunology. Two big words that I am over the moon, over the top, excited about. And the reason I'm excited about these two topics in science is because of the immense potential it offers individuals, individual human beings, and what it offers us collectively as society in the world. They're just huge topics that can impact you in a very positive way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So if you happen to be new to my content, I would really appreciate it if you would visit my website at www.lisaalundy.com and enter my current giveaway because that would make me happy. My disclaimer is this. Nothing that I say in this podcast or any of my other podcasts on my website, in my YouTube videos or books, or any of my content is designed or intended to be medical or therapy advice. This is not medical or therapy advice. You as a consumer should get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed healthcare provider. If you're listening to this podcast in this moment right now or recently, you've been feeling suicidal hopelessly depressed, or like your life has no meaning and you don't matter, I'm asking you to stop and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I am asking you to interrupt that thinking and take an action. There is a wide range of services and help available through the National Prevention Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and I'm asking you to take the help that's available. My next note is for the deaf and hard of hearing community. I currently have transcripts on the rss.com platform for all of my podcasts, and within an hour or two or so, uh, when a new podcast is generated, the transcript will, when a new When a new podcast is uploaded, then a transcript will be generated. And in the coming weeks, or as soon as possible, I will also have transcripts for the podcasts on my website. I thought that was, we're working out some kinks there on on the website. My other note for the deaf and hard of hearing community is that I am actively working on improving my speech, my pattern of speaking, and my pronunciation so that the transcripts are more valuable to you. I hope you'll give me your patience. Okay, here we go. Let's dive in to neuroplasticity in psychoneuroimmunology. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. All right, so I want to give you a definition for each of the terms just to get us on the same page. So neuroplasticity of the brain, which in the medical literature, by the way, is also referred to as neuronal Plasticity. So they'll use the terms neuroplasticity and neuronal plasticity interchangeably in the medical literature if you go look up science in PubMed or PubMed Central. Now the term neuronal plasticity was first used by the um, man who is considered to be the father of neuroscience. And back, and and this is uh, Santiago Ramon Cajal, 
who lived in 1852 to 1934, he was the one who first described non-pathological changes to the structure of adult brains. So we're in 2023, and prior to his death in 1934, Santiago Ramon Cajal was describing plasticity of the brain. So this is not new. This has been an evolving science. Neuroplasticity of the brain is really the, the foundation for learning and memory and enables mental and behavioral flexibility, making it extremely important. Now, neuroplasticity, if I, I kind of distilled it down for you, is the capacity of your brain cells to change in response to stimuli, internal, external, in a positive or negative way at any age during a person's lifespan. And generally speaking, neuroplasticity is the kind of umbrella term or the overall term that refers to your brain's ability to modify itself, change, and adapt both in structure and function throughout your entire lifetime. So you can change your brain with intentional actions, stimuli, exposure, or something. You can rewire or reprogram your brain over time. Now in this podcast, I'm, I'm addressing neuroplasticity of the brain. What I am not including is neurogenesis. Neurogenesis is distinctly separate from neuroplasticity and neurogenesis is the growth of new neurons. I'm not I'm not including that in this podcast although I'll probably put that on my list to take a peek. We have we have enough people with uh, neuroplasticity and psychoneuroimmunology. So you understand the basic premise for neuroplasticity of the brain is your brain's ability to grow, change, modify itself in response to stimuli or external factors and so on. Now, I'm going to give you the basic baseline for psychoneuroimmunology. Psychoneuroimmunology is the combination of fields of psychology, neurology, and immunology, as the name implies, psychoneuroimmunology, which is abbreviated, by the way, PNI in the literature. And what Psychoneuroimmunology, those three fields of science are looking at is understanding stress and the impacts of stress on health and understanding the interaction of mental health and immunology and the mind-body connection to pull the pieces together. One way you could summarize the general study of psychoneuroimmunology neuroimmunology is to be behavior, psychosocial factors, the nervous, endocrine, and immune systems, and disease, those four pieces. Now, I want to give you the precise definition of psychoneuroimmunology, just to be accurate. So, in the literature, psychoneuroimmunology, or PNI, is a discipline that has evolved in the last 40 years, sidebar, I already told you it's longer than that, to study the relationship between immunity, the endocrine system, and the central and peripheral nervous systems. In this manner, neurotransmitters, hormones, and neuropeptides have been found to regulate immune cells, and these in turn are capable of communicating with nervous tissue through the secretion of a wide array, wide variety of cytokines. There you go, that's the medical definition. Now, according to George Solomon, uh, published in February 2022 in his in the book uh, by George F. Solomon in Chapter 2, Chapter 2 is titled The Development and History of Psychoneuroimmunology. This is what George had to say, that the field of psychoneuroimmunology began several thousand years ago when ancient philosophers, healers, and mystics contemplated the impact of one's mental state on physical health and vice versa. So that chapter in George Solomon's book that discusses the long-standing history, in other words, 
uh, George Solomon is saying this has been going on for thousands of years. Now, I already read you the scientific definition where they're saying psychoneuroimmunology is a 40 is 40 years old. So you have to kind of distill it down for yourself. We have one position, which is this is thousands of years old, which, by the way, I concur with. Then we have some of the research saying it's a 40-year-old field. So you're really going to make your own decision about that. Now, in current in the current day, Robert Adler, who was a psychologist, and Nicholas Cohen, who was an immunologist, are typically given credit for the term and kind of the burgeoning of the field of psychoneuroimmunology. So there you have two, the two kind of foundation of what those concepts are. And now we're going to drill down because I know you're dying to know. I know you're dying to know what does neuroplasticity have to do with me? How can that be beneficial? Well, let me give you some applications for so we're going to do neuroplasticity first, and we're going to do psychoneuroimmunology and marry it all together. So here are some applications for the science of neuroplasticity of the brain. Brain injury, aging, in, in other words, in aging it's preventing cognitive decline, depression, stroke, trauma, anxiety, chronic pain, learning, meaning having learning be more effective, enhanced memory capabilities, improved or enhanced cognitive abilities, autism, ADHD, and OCD, and there is also the potential for applications in addictions or addiction recovery. So neuroplasticity has a, a good list. That's 12 different applications. For health issues, I mean, if you had a brain injury, wouldn't this be amazing? Or a stroke, or you had chronic pain, anxiety, depression, or any of those things. And it can also help with training and learning, and trauma, and trauma recovery. So this is significant because, you know, this is a radically new idea to, to use in health and well-being that you can rewire your brain. And, you know, this can also be used in your own personal growth and your personal development when you want to change new, you know, change your behavior or create new habits. Using that science can be extremely helpful. And I'm going to give you a quote from Norman Dodge, MD. Quote, everything having to do with human education and training has to be re-evaluated in the light of neuroplasticity, end quote. Now, uh, Dr. Dodge, he's an MD, is the author of the book, The Brain That Changes Itself, Stories of Personal Triumph from the Frontiers of Brain Science. There are actually some amazing and fascinating uh, videos on YouTube done by physicians and various entities on neuroplasticity of the brain. It's, it's a fascinating subject, and as we move through this piece on neuroplasticity, I'm I'm optimistic that you're going to go, wow, yeah, I want to take advantage of that. So what are some of the activities that build neuroplasticity? Well, when they're looking at neuroplasticity, one of the things they're looking at is brain-derived neurotropic factor, or abbreviated BDNF. So they're looking at, well, what actually boosts connections, or what what bolsters the strengths between the strength between signals from neuron to neuron? So here's a partial list. There's 12 activities that, from the research, are helpful and useful and will build neuroplasticity of the brain. Socializing, trying new things, meaning novel activities, playing or being playful, stimulating or enriched environments listening to music, traveling, dancing, creating art, increasing your vocabulary, having or developing a sense of purpose in life, sleeping, and learning to play an instrument. Now that's not an all-inclusive list, but that gives you an idea. You're stimulating your brain, and the stimulation, the stimuli can help create new neuronal pathways. Now, I have to talk to you about this, this woman who is considered the mother of neuroplasticity. Uh, Marion Diamond is her name. Now, um, 
And by the way, it's very unusual for a woman scientist to get the title mother of something. So this is a big deal. But her work, Marion Diamond's work, influenced and caused a paradigm shift for scientists because she was the first to prove that the brain shrinks with impoverishment and grows in an enriched environment at any age. That is back from Diamond et al., uh, 1971 and 1984, and then repeated by um, Marion Diamond and another researcher in 1971. So that was a paradigm shift, that the brain can shrink with impoverishment and grow in an enriched environment. Now, Richard Davidson's research found that thought, what you think, thought alone was associated with neuroplastic gains and improved immune response. And there's plenty in the literature about those pieces. So Richard Davidson's research provided the conclusion that what you think alone can provide neuroplastic gains and improved immune response. What you're thinking. Now the next piece is something I love. I, I did do a podcast called how Happiness Can Literally Save Your Life, which is a bold podcast for me because that's an assertion based on these two pieces of science with some other things. But in the Marion Diamond Lab, in her research lab, they called it the Diamond Lab, they did an experiment, uh, which kind of aptly titled the TLC experiment, in which they, the lab worker or the laboratory workers or lab assistants would take the rats out of their cages and hold them and pet them and say loving things to the rats. That was, that was the only change they made. That was the experiment. And the TLC experiment resulted in 50% increase in longevity. So the rats lived 50% longer and they had um, neuroplastic gains. The, so this was like the only change they made. The rats not only had neuroplastic gains, which was what they were studying, but they also had an increase, a 50% increase in longevity. So part of, she has a whole, there's a whole rich body of research in this. You know, you can look at Marion Diamond, you can look at Richard Davidson. There's a whole bunch of people who've been looking at this. Uh, so one of the things, so Marion Diamond kind of distills some of her research in one of the pieces saying there's five essentials for a healthy brain. So she's in the brain science. So in her list, the five essentials for a healthy brain are newness, challenge, exercise, diet, and love. And the love comes from the TLC experiment. That's really all they did was give the rats some love. And one of the quotes from one of the research pieces is, you know, so love or the addition of TLC provided neuroplastic gains. Perhaps love is one of the most important elements of being human. So this puts growing your brain and having love in your life in your own hands. But how amazing. They gave the rats love, a simple thing, tender, loving care, petted them, said nice things to them, and boom, they were off and running. So that kind of just gives you some overview of the research and some of the most salient points about neuroplasticity. Now we're going to take a little nose dive into psychoneuroimmunology, which is also extremely high, extremely exciting. I know you're so you're like, what is this woman? Why is she so excited? I'm so excited because of how it can help you. So ripped straight from the psychoneuroimmunology headlines, here's two sentences. Physical health impacts mental health. Mental health impacts physical health. So there you have it. Physical health can impact your mental health and your mental health can impact your physical health. So the brain, according to the science in psychoneuroimmunology, the brain can interfere with the immune system. So the brain, what we know, is the brain can interfere with your immune system. Where chronic psychological stress 
inhibits many functions of the immune system. And on the other hand, chronic peripheral, peripheral inflammation can, whether it's, it's mild or severe, uh, can interfere with the brain function leading to fatigue and other things like overt psychiatric illness. And in recent years, this is really critical, this next sentence. In recent years, it has been observed that psychological stress, psychological stress can be disease permissive, as in chronic inflammatory diseases, cancer, cardiovascular diseases, acute and chronic viral infections, sepsis, asthma, and others. That's from psych Psychoneuroimmunology Developments in Stress Research, uh, Straub and Kudelow. So one of the basic pieces of, psycho, of the psychoimmunology, psychoneuroimmunology research is that the, the discovery that the immune system, so your immune system, you know, that's involved with inflammation is not just influenced by factors like viruses and bacteria. That's kind of what people hold. Well, you know, if you're sick, you got a virus or you got a bacteria. But what the research from Glazer and Keycott Glazer in 2005 says is that your body is influenced by cues, signals, and events occurring in the external social and physical environment. In other words, your immune system can be influenced positively or negatively by cues, signals, and events happening outside of your body in the social and physical realm. So this field, psychoneuroimmunology, is proof positive. It is conclusive proof of the mind-body connection. And my assertion is, from the research, they're saying that psychological stress can be disease permissive. What we do in medicine is we figure out what causes disease, what contributes to disease, what causes or contributes to illnesses, and then we set about preventing them with either nutrition or exercise. There's all kinds of prevention that we do for cardiac disease. That all Medicine's all about, well, hopefully, about prevention. So here we have external clues and psychological stress that are inhibiting your immune system response. Are we talking about the mind-body connection out in the world? Are we, is there a general agreement out in the world that your physical health, your physical body health impacts your mental health? I don't think so. Is there agreement out in society that your mental health can impact your physical health? No, I don't think we've got that agreement either. So here we are with the research that is telling us in the psychoneuroimmunology field that external things can impact your immune system. And we've firmly established with their pieces, if we stitch all their pieces together, that the mind and the body are connected. The mind and the body are connected. But we live in a world where if you say, oh, well, maybe your physical pain is caused by something you're thinking or you're stressed, people look at you like you're crazy. Like people do not in my opinion, in my experience, do not walk around talking about the mind-body connection or how your what you're thinking could be affecting you. So that's 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 where we're at. We are not we have not taken this field these two fields of science, but in particularly in particular psychoneuroimmunology out into the world where people can use it to their advantage. That's what you want to do with science, in my opinion. You wanna you want to use science to improve your life. Why not? I don't know. So I'm gonna take this a little 
step further and talk about what does this mean for human beings? These two fields of science, what does, what does neuroplasticity of the brain and psychoneuroimmunology mean to you as a human being? Like what are the potential benefits or how could you potentially benefit from it? Well, number one, it has the potential to help you avoid or prevent illness and diseases or other chronic conditions. If you're aware of the science that psychological stress, external cues, signals, factors can negatively impact your immune system or be disease permissive, you could take some alternative steps to offset that. Number two, it has the potential to help you recover or recover more quickly from an illness or disease. Number three, it has the potential to change how you do life. It has the potential to cause you to be more self-aware and therefore more intentional about your life. It has the potential to cause you to recognize the harmful impacts of psychological stress on your body and on your mental health. It could cause you to recognize that perhaps your chronic pain or chronic illness might be sourced by or caused by some emotional pain from your past or in your current life that you haven't yet faced or dealt with. It could cause you to create healthy boundaries to protect your psychological, physical, and emotional well-being. It could cause you to engage in activities to grow your neuronal pathways and plasticity of your brain. It could help you recognize the significance and value of having love in your life. It could change the way you educate or train your students, your patients, your clients, or your staff. It might change the goals in your life. For example, having being well-loved and love in your life over money or success. It might cause you to make radical changes in your life, including who is in your life, what you're up to, your environment, and your circumstances. It could mean that you begin to face the pain of your dysfunctional family, the wounds or trauma of your childhood, or deal with current pain or traumas. It has the potential to change your brain without having to unpack everything by using the various activities to rewire your brain. It could be the beginning of your recognition that love and happiness can be extremely beneficial to your mental and physical health. It could be the beginning of your recognition that your mind and body are intimately connected, regardless of whether you know that or not. And what you think in your mind and how you feel emotionally can affect both your physical and mental health. And it could be the beginning of you realizing that your mind and your emotions are more powerful than you could have realized and can be used as a tool in your own health and well-being. So there's a little list of the ways it could impact you. And I'm going to give you th three examples ripped from my life or someone else's. Uh, okay, maybe maybe they're all ripped. <laughs> maybe they're... No. One, one of them is not for my life. All right, so number one. So this is an example of using uh, psychoneuroimmunology. So number one, you are going through a traumatic or painful event or situation. That could be that someone that you loved or cared about passed away. It could be a nasty divorce or a breakup. It could be the loss of a job. It could be any number of things. But you're going through something that's painful or traumatic. Now, because you are aware, because you have this knowledge of psychoneuroimmunology, 
and how external clues, signals, and events can be disease permissive, you then take extra steps to boost your self-care and emotional well-being. In other words, you counterbalance the negative. And yes, that was from my life, and yes, I did that. <laughs> I think, you know, it worked out very well. And I have a whole podcast about counterbalancing the negative because that's really what we're talking about in the psychoneuroimmunology research is that certain things can be disease permissive. So, by the way, like that's mostly negative stuff that's going to like send you down the, the bad path. All right, next, next example, not from my life. <laughs> You are unhappy in life for any number of reasons, valid reasons. Well, there's more people who are unhappy than are happy. So this is common. It's actually come, came from one of the people I work with. So now with this new information, you can intentionally flip the switch on your emotions. Now flipping the switch on your emotions, I have a Newsweek article on, my, on newsweek.com. I have a... A YouTube video about it. I've, I've done lots of stuff about flipping the switch on your emotions. So you, now that you're, you recognize you're unhappy and you're going to intentionally flip the switch on your emotions, which will function to boost your mood in the moment. But it's also taking advantage of training your brain, re rewiring your brain, and building emotional regulation skills. And the third example, this is a real, this is a real, this is a true story. <laughs> you develop sudden and unexplained knee pain, like excruciating knee pain in one knee. So now, because you know about the mind-body connection, and you know about psychoneuroimmunology, and you know about the science I've talked to you about, you you, you take a pause. And you contemplate, hmm, what is going on in my life right now? What has recently happened or what has happened in the last few months to a year or whatever? And then at a certain point, you realize, oh, yes, there are one, two, or multiple things, events, situations that have either happened or are in the process, they're happening now, which are emotionally painful. So understanding the mind-body connection as you do, you begin to process, well, you've already identified that there's emotional pain, so you've got that identified and you understand what it's coming from. Then you begin to get to work on processing that emotional pain to give you relief. And, oh, how about that? Suddenly and uh, almost instantly, your knee pain is completely resolved. Yes, that happened to me the last couple of years. And everybody said, oh, you're going to have to have knee surgery. Oh, yeah, that's going to require knee surgery for sure. I did get a brace. I wore the brace. It was very painful. And then I went, oh, yeah, I know about this and figured it out. And boom, like, it's amazing. But we don't walk around talking about how your physical pain in your body could be the result of emotional pain. Oh, I'm going to give one more example that's not in my cliff notes. <laughs> so a number of years ago, I had a terrible, terrible truth that was revealed. So someone had been, had betrayed me and just did awful, awful things. I won't even get into really, really bad. And I was blindsided by it. And then Shortly after the truth came out about what this person had done to me, I developed a toothache that felt like an abscessed tooth. It was very painful. It was swollen. My jaw was swollen. It was warm to the touch. It, it just, you know, there was fluid. It was all the signs. If you look up an abscessed tooth, they were all there. So I talked to some of my friends who said, oh, you're going to need a root canal. Oh, you're going to go get that pulled. You need to address that immediately. So I thought about it, knowing about psychoneuroimmunology, although I didn't know the science term for that 
not many years ago. And I embarked upon debriefing, decompressing with myself what's going on. Well, we knew what was going on. I just found out the most horrible, wretched, awful things I could find out. So it felt like I was kicked in the face because I kind of was kicked in the face. And I started doing some supplements and, you know, different things and dealing really, though, with my emotions. And guess what? I didn't have to have a root canal. I didn't have to have a tooth pulled. I didn't even go to the dentist, although I got a lot of flack about that. But I was clear that the tooth pain and the swollen jaw was a result of this major trauma that had just been revealed, this huge series of lies, long-time lies, betrayal, theft of my money, all kinds of stuff. And that, that the toothache was emotional pain showing up in my body and it got resolved. I still have that tooth and there's nothing wrong with it. And that, I mean, that is a real life example. <laughs> I know I really took a lot of flack about not running right to the dentist and running right away and getting a root canal and, or getting it pulled. I took a lot of heat for that, but I have used emotional pain showing up in my body for, for since a young age. So I understand it. I didn't know there was research to support it. I just know, well, hmm, you know, I'm having this symptom. What could that be? Et cetera, et cetera. All right. So I'm hopeful that you at this point have gotten the fact that you could use neuroplasticity of the brain to prevent, you know, your brain declining as an older person and maybe miss you know, dementia or Alzheimer's. I mean, you could possibly have that kind of wonderful impact. You could certainly use it for learning. You can use neuroplasticity in so many ways. And clearly, from the Marion Diamond research in neuroplasticity, hopefully your one, one major big takeaway from neuroplasticity is adding love to your life. Add the love, add the TLC, add the happiness. I mean, look what happened to the rats with simply the addition of love and little tender loving care. So that's a piece from neuroplasticity of the brain. You don't have to grow old and have your brain decay. Now that's what's typically going to happen. That's the trajectory you're on if you don't engage in activities that enrich your brain and help your brain grow in its neuroplasticity. And then the piece of psychoneuroimmunology, hopefully you're understanding that for thousands of years or 40, you know, pick your number, pick whoever's position you enjoy the most or you want to support, that the mind and the body are intimately connected. And your physical health impacts your mental health, and your mental health impacts your physical health. And certain things outside of your body, clues, signals, external factors, can interrupt or inhibit your immune system. That is phenomenal. That's amazing. It could change your life in so many ways, but this is the science that, in my humble opinion, should be known by everyone because everyone could take advantage of neuroplasticity of the brain. And certainly people in certain professions, educators, teachers, professors, even physicians with their patients or therapists, I mean, like the, the wealth of use of applications for neuroplasticity of the brain is pretty much all over the board. Like, yes. And then psychoneuroimmunology. Well, what would happen if somebody who had a chronic illness or a chronic disease or chronic pain or chronic something went, hmm, oh yes, I had a traumatic childhood I've never dealt with. Like it could be a game changer, and I assert that it is a great game changer, and I also assert that this is, this is the information we need to give to people so they can use it as they see fit. I mean, I really have no skin in the game about how other people live their life. I just 
folks really don't. I want people to be happy. I want people to be healthy. I want more, more than anything for people to be well-loved and have love in their life and have healthy coping strategies and go, you know, I want all that for everyone, but it's your choice. I don't have any skin in the game or attachment to, you know, if you want to have a crappy life, go, go ahead, go have at it. So I do have a couple. So hopefully that's where you're at. You understand these are two extremely significant topics that have an impact on your life, whether you like it or not. You can use it to your advantage because you have information or not. I have a couple overall suggestions. Number one, I hope you're going to open your mind to the science. Listen, just go into PubMed or PubMed Central. I've kind of been more going into PubMed Central recently, and I don't know why, but PubMed Central, PubMed, and you can Google neuroplasticity of the brain, or you can just don't even have to go into PubMed. You can just Google it. You'll find the books by uh, Norman Dodge and Schwartz and all these other uh, scientists and doctors who've written about neuroplasticity in layman's terms. So forget PubMed. That's probably not your probably not your cup of tea. But you can get a book about how to rewire your brain. It's amazing. It's fascinating. It's exciting. Now probably not as much on psychoneuroimmunology, but it's there, like, and, and, like, embrace the science, embrace the science, because you want to use science to its advantage, that's what you do with science, in my opinion, all right, so open your mind to science, number two, take stock of your life, this is one of the things that people frequently will not do, they either will not do it, or they've never thought of doing it, or they've never been exposed to doing it, or it never occurred to them. It is the one thing the majority of people don't sit down and intentionally do with their life. So when I say, take stock of your life, are you happy? How is your life going? How has your life been? Did your life go the way you wanted it to go? What's missing from your life? What what would be wonderful to add into your life? Like take stock of your life. How is it? Is it what you wanted? Well, listen, lots of horrible, horrible, nasty things have happened to me. We, If you've listened to my podcast, you are very well aware. Some pretty bad stuff has happened to me. And guess what? I have had one of the most miraculous and amazing lives I could have ever asked for. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Like, it's tremendous. So when I take stock of my life, did I do the best I could? Yes, I did. Is there anything missing? Well, okay, a great man who will, like, come into my life and love me. That's about it. Like, I'm happy. I'm up to stuff. I know what I'm doing. But this is how I've done life since I was young. With like, I'm, I'm on track, I'm going to create my life, create my life, create my life. That's what I do. So if something's missing, you know, I'll put that on my list. But take stock of your life and be able to be honest. Like, I can say, hey, it would be amazing to have a great man in my life. He's coming, I'm sure, <laughs> like, eventually. And, uh, but every other area, I've got, you know, like things are cooking. They're cooking because I'm intentional. And they're cooking because I contemplate my life when I'm doing my planning and, you know, organizing and my list making and my schedule and all the things that I do. It's not what most people do, but you could do that. And the power would be to be able to be honest and say, you know what? I probably could use some more friends. Oh, well, yeah, I said that a couple years ago. <laughs> and I've been working on that ever since. We have a little social outing club, which the other two founders and I are kind of laughing about because it, it hasn't taken off. And uh, although we've got some flyers at the gym and the church and the hairdresser, wherever, you know, we're just, the three of us are just content that it's the three of us. So whether that takes off, I mean, who knows what'll happen. But when I have something that's missing in my life, I don't go, oh. I go, oh, well, what am I going to do about that? But take stock of your life. Be honest. And then you're going to ditch any shame or embarrassment about what is or isn't in your life. Like, I'm not ashamed or embarrassed that 
I need more social connections. I've been working on it, and the other two co-founders and I kind of chuckle about it. It's a work in progress. I'm not doing nothing about it. I mean, I think if you start a social outing club with two other people, that's taking action. But pull together a list of what you want in your life. It could be what you need in your life. It could be what you want in your life. It could be what's missing in your life. It could be a dream you forgot about. Like pull together a list of what you want to put into your life and then get to work on putting those things into your life because you can change your life. You can have your life be amazing and, and magical and beautiful even if all of your money was stolen and you were left with a pile of debt. Yes, you can still have. I know we, we laugh about that, but it's not funny. I mean, it is not funny that I was fraudulently left with a massive amount of debt and all of my assets stolen. No, that's not funny. But we laugh about it because, haha, guess what? That didn't tank me. That didn't take me out of the game. That didn't ruin my life. Listen, nobody gets to ruin my life but me. And I've, if I haven't done it so far, it's never going to happen. So pull together a list of what you would like to have in your life and then get busy. My next suggestion is to pull together a team. Life is way more fun when you're doing it with people. If it's just one friend, one buddy, one coworker, some stranger from social media, I mean, you do have to be careful with strangers, but, you know, some, some acquaintance you have from social media, pull together people and go on an amazing journey, like make it wildly fun. You could have the most fun you've had in a very, very long time putting things into your life that are missing or absent or, or fixing or changing things that are problematic, you could have a ball. Listen, I have coached people on this. People, I will talk, sit them down and say, okay, now you're going to create a team. You three are the team. You know, tomorrow by tomorrow, you get a name. You know, if you want to have a theme to your team, you can have a theme. And you're going to create events and parties and prizes and make it deliciously fun. Well, then the next day, then the next day, uh, you see the people and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I got a name. I'm like, oh, what's your name? You know, like you could have a wildly great time changing your life. You could. And of course, in my book, in my little world, you would be really well off to make it fun and playful. Most people don't have enough play or fun in their life. And I'm a diehard fan. Like... Yes, I can be serious. I mean, I'm giving you a serious podcast here on, on a very, you know, scientific topic, but I'm also having fun. I don't know if you can tell, but like, I'm a fan of playing and having fun as much as possible. That doesn't mean I don't get work done. Of course I get work done, but I'm a big fan of making it playful and fun because it's more fun. It's more, it's just way more fun. And I certainly will hope, would hope that you would implement a reward system. I do have a podcast about that. I have an article on Newsweek.com about leveling up like gamers do, which is about having a reward system. Because change is not easy for people. People run from change. People flee from change. They will, you know, duck for cover. People want to be in their comfort zone. I get it. I'm, I'm the same way. I like being in my comfort zone, but I'm also committed to certain things in life. So I will step out of my comfort zone when, when it's appropriate or when I feel like it or when I'm very motivated. But you could use the science of neuroplasticity of the brain and the science of psychoneuroimmunology to change your life. You absolutely could. So once you've Pull together your list of what's missing in your life or what you want to put in or what needs to be fixed or changed. You've got a team. Hopefully you're going to decide, yes, we're going to make this the most playful, fun trip, journey, odyssey, trek, quest, whatever. And then and then you begin. And then you just begin and you, you're not going to know how it's going to go because you're in the unknown. Growth and development for people means you're in the unknown. 
You don't know how it's going to go and you're just going to trust and you're going to figure it out. Now, I will say that I have over 100 podcasts that will support you in many topics along the way. So that's a resource for you. All right, here's your takeaways. It's time to understand that neuroplasticity of the brain and psychoneuroimmunology are two fields of science that can absolutely positively impact your life and positively change your life for the better. Takeaway number two, it's time to start becoming intentional about how you live your life and to understand whether you like it or not, there is a body of science confirming the mind-body connection. And my last takeaway is it's time to get to work, time to build a team, make it fun and playful, and go on a journey. Now, my call to action is I hope you're going to like use this. Use this to prevent yourself from getting some illness. Listen, years ago, when I was going through this major trauma, I told you about my tooth, um, I was taking my kids to the doctor and the one doctor I knew extremely well and he knew what was going on and he said, well, I'm a little concerned. Well, I knew what he was concerned about. He was concerned about me getting cancer or some other disease as a, as an impact of all the psychological, emotional, economic, every, every trauma. And, but he and I talked about it and I said, oh, I'm very well aware what you're hinting at and here's what I'm doing. And he was like, oh, okay, great. Because I was already on that. I was preventing myself from getting sick or disease or some, some bad impact by boosting my self-care like crazy and taking care of my emotions. So share this podcast on social media and with the people you care because it could make a difference for them. That's it. Take care. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life podcast, episode number 109, Neuroplasticity and Psychoneuroimmunology. I definitely hope you can see the far-reaching and positively amazing impacts of these two different fields of science and how they can help you improve your life. I hope you will subscribe to my podcast so you get the new ones automatically because, of course, you wouldn't want to miss one. Please share this podcast on social media to help other people take advantage of what we know about health and wellness. Connect with me on my website, enter my giveaway, hang in there for now. Love you. Bye.